you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, the FMIA preview version of the podcast. We've got a treat for you today. We've got a short uh, interview with Lamar Jackson, uh, who probably burst his way into the lead of the most valuable player race on Sunday in Baltimore. I was there, spent a little bit of time with him after the game. You'll hear from him in just a minute. Um and also, I'm going to read you uh, the lead to my column, which I wrote about him. I'll share some thoughts about Colin Kaepernick um, and about Miles Garrett. And I'll check in with you uh, with all uh, a tidbit from all of the games of the weekend. So first of all, my trip to Baltimore, uh, I think one of the things that I learned today uh, well, it was yesterday now because it's 4.27 a.m. here in Brooklyn. I'm back in Brooklyn. Did a lot of writing on trains yesterday yesterday and, to, and tonight, whatever I'm talking about. On Sunday, I should say. But I did a lot of writing on trains, and I had a very profitable day at the Ravens, I ended up spending some time with Eric DaCosta, their rookie general manager, after the game. Interviewed him for this column I'm writing. So you're going to read stuff from DaCosta and Jackson, and you're going to hear from Lamar Jackson. One of the points that I made in my column today is uh, that you can get either at profootballtalk.com or at NBCSports.com. One of the points is basically that Lamar Jackson has been tremendously motivated by what happened to him in his playoff game against the Chargers in Baltimore 45 weeks ago. Uh, that game motivated him uh, to, uh, to never happen again. I mean, after 50 minutes of the game, he had completed three passes and had a 0.0, .0 passer rating. And the Chargers obviously were well on the way to beating the Ravens handily that day. Um, but I, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna play right now. Lamar Jackson and me in the locker room, uh, mo mainly with everybody cleared out afterwards. Uh, he dawdles a little bit after games, and so I talked to him for a couple of minutes by his locker. And why don't you listen in to my quick conversation? with Lamar Jackson. I have two questions. Okay. My first is, how much motivation, if at all, did you get through this offseason from the playoff game against the Chargers? 
uh, man, a lot of a, a lot, a lot of motivation. You know, um, I watched that play, watched that game, a lot. You know, I like to critique myself, um, watch myself and study myself. Um, I didn't look like I was in it at all. Um, and that's not fair to my teammates. You know, um, I got to build from that. Um, be a better player. You know, better be a better teammate. And um, I got to keep it going. You know, um, that one playoff game is in the past. You know, I, I let it. You know, it haunts me. Um, I want to get my team there and further. Yes, sir. Did you sense the outside world? After you had the great regular season, did you sense that a lot of people in the outside world were questioning you after that game? Uh, you know, I don't really care what the outsiders do. You know, I don't really care how they think. You know, those people have their own opinions. You know, I, I can't change them. Um, all I can do is just get better, better myself, um, be a better teammate, like I said, um, work harder um, to perform better and move on from it. Yeah. Yes, sir. And that's had, would you say, a positive impact on you this year? in some ways pushing you to make sure that that doesn't happen again? Um, absolutely. You know, like I said before, I watched that game plenty enough times. I watched it with my brother. Um, we talked about it. Um, I hate that game. Um, I really hate it on film because that's not me. You know, I, I not play um, up to my ability at all, and that's not fair, like I said, to my teammates, um, my coaching staff. So um, each and every week I'm trying to get better, and it starts in practice. You know, um, I told Coach Herb when I came in, um, when we sat down after my draft, I was like, you know, I want to be a better practice player because – Everywhere I went, you know, I, I suck in practice, but in the game I can show up. But, you know, I want to be a better um, practice player than a game player, and, you know, it's, it's helping out a lot. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Appreciate that. Thanks a million. Yes, so I'm going to read you the top to my column as I do every week uh, here, and uh, then I'm going to get to some other stuff in the column. So here we go. Dateline Baltimore. MVP. 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 That was the thunderous chant from a good chunk of the 70,000 cheering the Ravens' startling 41-7 route of the Texans Sunday. The love of a city pouring over Lamar Jackson. The chant might have been parochially based a couple of weeks ago, but no more. It's no lock, obviously, but Jackson might have surged ahead of Russell Wilson in the MVP race with more highlights to make Deion Sanders screech including his first-ever Kent to Colby submarine completion. Every week it's something with this guy, something fun, something exhilarating. Football changes so fast. One draft can change a team for 15 years. The 2018 draft probably did it for the Ravens. And one month can change a season. The Ravens were 4-2 and two without a signature win a month ago. And since then, they've beaten Seattle, New England, and Houston by a combined 108 to 43 cents. The Patriots were home field locks in the AFC a month ago, and they still could, would, could do that. But Baltimore's the better team today, particularly after the defensive suffocation of Deshaun Watson on Sunday. Football changes fast in other ways, too, and for Jackson, certainly. Ten months ago in this stadium, there was another chant from the fans. They wanted Joe Flacco in and Jackson out. Remember? In the first 50 minutes of the wild card playoff loss to the Chargers, Jackson completed three passes. Now think of that. It's incomprehensible. His passer rating through 50 minutes? Jackson was pitching a Blutarski. 0.0. .0. His late season bubble was bursting. 
I was there that day, that Sunday in January, and I was stunned John Harbaugh didn't summon Flacco off the bench just to give a break to the kid who looked like he was melting down. In a quiet moment Sunday, an hour after the crowd finished serenading Jackson, I found him at his locker. It seemed a little cruel, dredging up the worst day of his short professional life, but I'd heard that game had crushed him, and I'd heard the hatred of it motivated him to make sure it never happened again. I wondered, how much motivation did that game provide? Oh man, a lot, Jackson said. A lot of motivation. I watched that game a lot. I critiqued myself, watched myself, and studied myself. I didn't look like I was in it at all. That's not fair to my teammates. I've got to build from that. I've got to be a better player, be a better teammate. I've got to keep it going. That one playoff game is in the past. But maybe not. Quote, I let it, uh, it haunts me. I want to get my team back there and further, he said. Man, what a week of news. Miles Garrett's few seconds of violence, Colin Kaepernick's face-off with the league ending ugly, Chicago's season and erstwhile long-term quarterback dissolving on a terrible night in Los Angeles. And the Ravens looking very much like the new team atop Mount NFL with six weeks to play. For a minute, just for fun, let's focus on sports talk candy. The MVP. I'd give it to Jackson today by a whisker over Russell Wilson. Now, Wilson, with a lesser offensive supporting cast, did hand the Niners their first loss on the road, and he's won six of seven while most often running for his life. Jackson's on pace to rush for 1,261 yards and to obliterate Michael Vick's quarterback rushing record by 222 yards. Jackson's a weekly highlight factory. He's just freaky, and we're on the ship with him, said Seth Roberts, the itinerant wideout who caught the first of four Jackson TDs Sunday. Never, never, never seen anything like freaky L. Well, yes, he is, but he's not the MVP for being a highlight machine. Head-to-head matches with his mid-season MVP competition, Wilson and Watson, well, that helps. Jackson is 2-0 against them. His passer rating is 116.2. He has rushed for 202 yards against those two teams, and he had zero turnovers in those games. Leading in the MVP race after 11 weeks, well, that and six bucks will buy you a grande pumpkin pumpkin spice latte. Means nothing yet, but if Jackson has a few more days like Sunday, he would be the youngest MVP winner since Jim Brown won in 1957 and 58, just shy of his 22nd and 23rd birthdays. More recently, Dan Marino and Patrick Mahomes were 23 years and several months old when they won MVPs. So Jackson turns 23 on January 7. The award will be handed out 29 days later. It's easy to watch Baltimore now and get seduced by the quarterback and think that's why the team is so good. Surely it's the biggest reason. But I'll give you two other reasons. One, 
They're smart on draft day. Two, they've got stones on draft day. So let me interrupt myself and just tell you that I spend about the next six or 700 words detailing how they got um, uh, Lamar Jackson in the draft uh, in 2018. I strongly suggest you read it. I have a feeling there's a lot of numbers in there. It's going to get very play-by-play-ish. And uh, so I'm just going to skip after uh, – I'm going to skip over the part on draft day. I really want you to read it, though. I did some significant research into this. You, I think you'll like it and learn a lot about football. Anyway, here's how I end my Jackson section. In April, the Ravens asked Jackson to make an appearance at the Saturday afternoon draft party they had. Sure, he said, he was going to be in New York to see a concert with teammates Friday night, and he'd get up Saturday morning and drive back to Maryland for the event. He went to the concert, got up Saturday for the drive home, but one problem, he couldn't locate one of his teammates. He called and texted, but to no avail. So he got in his car and drove back for the draft event. Then he drove back to New York three-plus hours to pick up the teammate and turned right around with him to return to Baltimore. He didn't really have to do that. The teammate could have gotten on the train to come home. No, Jackson said, I'll get him home. The football's great, but you need to have the other stuff too, the leadership, your teammates having your back. You need to have a good locker room. That's what the Ravens have with Jackson. Plus, they've got a guy convinced he'll never have a 0.0 rating again the rest of his career. Quote, I watched that game plenty enough times, said Jackson. I watched it with my brother. We talked about it. I hate that game. I really hated it on film because that's not me. I'm not playing up to my ability at all, and it's not fair, like I said, to my teammates, my coaching staff. So each and every week I'm trying to get better, and it starts in practice. So uh, I wrote a little bit about Kaepernick uh, and Miles Garrett. Uh, I gave my opinion on Kaepernick, which basically is that, you know, here's a guy who asked for teams to work him out for the last two years, and though Saturday's arrangements weren't to his liking, the NFL did arrange to have 20 or so teams at the Falcons training facility for his first workout in front of NFL scouts in over two years. He had an agreement that the video of the workout would be available for every GM and coach. And so that wasn't good enough in the end. Kaepernick had a problem with the waiver he'd have to sign. He had a problem with the videotape, not trusting the league on it. Um, and then my point is, does someone dying for a tryout place all these obstacles in front of him at age 32 and then cancel the NFL workout and move the workout to a high school field 60 miles away? Maybe this is the last chance he has to play in the NFL. Man, it's just fading away more and more by the day. And I know if that were me and I were dying to get back in the NFL, I'd show up. And I would show those NFL scouts how wrong they were about me. Wrote a little bit more about where I think a good home would be. Uh, Frank Reich with the Colts, the Bucks with Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich, or Andy Reid with the Chiefs. Remember, Andy Reid once uh, uh, played uh, or once signed Michael Vick. 
So, um, you know, who knows? I, I did get a great section of uh, this part of the column uh, from reading uh, Marcus Thompson II in The Athletic. I think he wrote a really, really smart piece uh, about Kaepernick and the aftermath of this. Um, and I strongly encourage you to write Mar Marcus Thompson's story. I excerpted a couple, uh, couple of paragraphs in here that I just admired his point. Um, you know, his point basically is that, hey, look, Colin Kaepernick isn't going to make it easy for you if it's not right. If he thinks that something is wrong with it, he's going to speak out. He's not going to do it, even if it costs him his career. Um, anyway, uh, just some interesting stuff in that regard. Um, the Miles Garrett thing, you'll probably want to throw eggs at me. I, I would not suspend Mason Rudolph um, I just don't think I think without Miles Garrett being involved this would have been a basically a pushing and shoving match um, and to me I think that is one of the biggest problems in this whole thing that that it was really exacerbated by uh, obviously by Miles Garrett I have um, uh, 10 or 11 emails in my column mainly edited for brevity. Um, I asked people all around the country with kids who were playing youth football to tell me what they think, whether an incident like this could have any effect on whether they would allow their kids to play football. And what I found, one of the things I found is that the vast majority of people who responded said the bigger problem in that game was the concussions, the two concussions suffered by Steeler receivers. So um, I found that interesting that, uh, you know, the hit was, I think, really an outlier or the, the pulling the helmet off and, and slugging, um, uh, you know, slugging Mason Rudolph in the head with the helmet was an outlier. So um, I, I found that interesting that most people weren't as bothered uh, even though they thought it was barbaric, they weren't as bothered for like the health and welfare of their children uh, by Miles Garrett than, as they were about the uh, uh, the concussions. Um, so let's talk about the games a little bit. Um, let's start with the Rams beating the Bears seventeen to seven. So the Bears announced that Mitchell Trubisky had to leave the game in the second half with a right hip injury. Um, I'm not positive he had to leave the game with that injury. And I think if the Bears were doing the right thing in this case, I mean, clearly the health of his hip is number one. It's the biggest concern. But I think that the biggest issue with this is um, I think he's played his way out of the job. And it doesn't mean that he'll never be able to play again, uh, Trubisky. But I think for now... With a record of four and six, you know, the Bears basically have to run the table from here on out. I just don't see any way that Trubisky gives them a good chance to to win more than one or two games at most uh, the rest of the year. Uh, the Bucks lost to New Orleans 34-17. to That was really interesting in this game that um, you know, Bruce Arians has been staunchly defensive when he speaks about turnovers and Jameis Winston, well, 
Winston threw four interceptions again. Uh, he also fumbled, but uh, Tampa Bay recovered that one. I think I really like what Dennis Allen, the defensive coordinator of the Saints, did in this game. Uh, he really concentrated on shutting down Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, and I think that was smart, um, and it obviously worked. Um, and and then I think the other point to make is, look, everybody was very concerned about the Saints after the Falcons game last week. Sometimes these things just happen in football. The Saints are back to where they need to be as one of the three teams in the NFC that are four teams in the NFC, rather, uh, that I think have a pretty good chance to uh, go to the Super Bowl. Um, Dallas 35, Detroit 27. Now, look, at some point, the Dallas Cowboys owner, Jerry Jones, is going to have to say, well, I'm going to have to pay Dak Prescott. It's it's so interesting. I think Jerry Jones gambled that Dak Prescott would play well, but not like Peyton Manning. And Dak Prescott, well, that's probably an exaggeration, but you know he is uh, he's the, only the fourth quarterback in history in his first four years, um, you know, to throw for over thirty touchdowns uh, or throw for over twenty touchdowns and. Uh, and over 3,000 yards. So, um, you know, look, this is the long-term quarterback of Dallas's future. He continues to show it week by week. And, man, I don't know. The Lions, uh, they need their quarterback back, obviously. I don't think they're going to get him back for uh, at least another week. So we'll see. Uh, Baltimore 41, Houston 7. That's the game I covered. Uh, again, I think, let's talk about Houston for a second. I think they got absolutely jobbed on a non-pass interference call uh, in the end zone that would have given them a touchdown early and I think would have made the game a lot more competitive. Um, after the game, Bill O'Brien, the, the Texans coach, said, I don't know what pass interference is anymore. I don't think anybody does. I have a few words about that in my column. Those who hate the pass interference rule probably uh, are going to like those words. Minnesota 27, Denver 23. So the Broncos went up 20 to nothing in this game. Minnesota comes back. And I thought what was fun about this game is that Kirk Cousins uh, really became, you know, played this sort of like, you know, the tortoise and the hare with the hare being Denver and Minnesota was going to be the tortoise. He wasn't going to panic. He was just going to, you know, dink and dunk when he had to and hand it off. And even though Dalvin, Dalvin Cook was fairly invisible for big swaths of the day, I think they had a, a really good game plan, a patient game plan, and that's what ended up winning for him. Indianapolis 33, Jacksonville 13. But the biggest problem in this game is that Marlon Mack, uh, who's very impressive at running back last year and this year. Uh, had over 100 yards in this game, and and he had to leave the game with what is uh, suspected to be a broken hand. He could be out for a while, and especially with Indianapolis playing at Houston Thursday. Um, this is going to be very, very difficult if they think uh, – you know, if they think that 
they really need uh, Marlon Mack. They're going to have to go with with their backup. Um, you know, is Jonathan Williams. You know, the great thing about Chris Ballard and his regime, they just keep putting people out there who keep playing well. You, know, you saw probably that uh, Jonathan Williams had 116 yards leading every fantasy football player in America to go running to the waiver wire to try to <laughs> pick up, um, uh, you know, to try to pick up Jonathan Williams before their uh, peers do in this league. So the Atlanta Falcons continue to shock the planet. <laughs> A 29-3 win over Carolina. You know what? What? What what happens in cases like this is that late in the year, after your coaches say, oh, come on, you can do it, we're better than this. I'm not saying they wake up one morning and realize they're better than this, but I just think that most players return to the mean. You know, they go back, to, they revert to what they were as players. And so I'm sure we're going to read something very interesting and very in-depth fairly soon about people uh, – maybe in the Atlanta area writing and talking about the fact that this team has has turned the corner and they've done it because they're finally, as I say, reverting to the mean. They're going back to what their true talent level is. Um, and I think one of the other things uh, that has been so interesting in the last two weeks, they have, they have rushed the passer better than they have probably since late in their Super Bowl year. So – Kudos to the Falcons and to Dan Quinn for keeping this going. One of the really, really good, um, one of the really good points in the column today is I talk a little bit about, uh, I don't mean to brag, but I talk about uh, Jamal Adams and the safety of the Jets having a three-sack day, and uh, it's becoming increasingly apparent that the Jets would have made a huge mistake in trading him. I'm glad for their sake they didn't, uh, but he was huge in a game that has very, very little importance uh, in Washington. Buffalo beat Miami 37-20. to um, I, I'm, I, I thought at this point that you'd, you'd see a consistently better effort on defense by the Dolphins, uh, I don't. They didn't play well defensively in this game. Uh, Josh Allen might have had the best game of his career for the Bills, and the Bills continue to be this sort of maddeningly odd team, where uh, you know they 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 get drubbed by Philadelphia. They do the drubbing against Washington, then they lose at Cleveland. And then they play home against the resurgent Dolphins, and they win that one. So they're, this is an odd, odd team. The 49ers beat Arizona 36-26. to The biggest thing coming out of there is that I thought coming out of the game on Sunday that Jimmy Garoppolo had some things to prove really sincerely uh, was I was questioning, you know, his ability to win in clutch moments. Um but he played great, over 400 passing yards, a game-winning touchdown in the last minute. He really, I thought, redeemed himself in this game. Patriots 17, Eagles 10. I was struck by, I didn't see much of this game at all, 
I didn't see a lot of football other than the game I was at on Sunday, but um, I was struck by a tweet from Ben Volan of the Boston Globe that said that Tom Brady spoke for a minute 41 after the game. A win, by the way. He spoke for a minute 41, and he said he was very, very downtrodden. So that's going to be something to watch, whether he was beat up a little bit in the game and tired or whatever, I don't know. But um, if it's something beyond that, um, there's going to be a lot of conclusions being drawn about Tom Brady. Oakland 17, Cincinnati 10. What was interesting about this game, I thought, is that the Bengals have been playing nobody tough, really, recently. And, you know, they almost came down to the wire and beat Oakland. So uh, good for the Bengals for, you know, the effort is still there, even if the wins are not. And I think that one of the things you – you see with the with the Raiders right now is finally when they get a chance to play at home, you know, after being on the road for 46, 46 days, um, they get a chance to play at home, and now they're 3-0 and since they've come back. So uh, very good for the Raiders. Um, that's it for the games. I'm going to give you my adieu haiku, if you're ready. Might be a pipe dream. But I would like Andy Reid to coach Kaepernick. Hey, listen, I really appreciate you um, listening to the podcast. Uh, my podcast that will drop on Wednesday, I've got a fun interview with Brent Musburger, um, who, by the way, is 80 years old. Is that freaky to anybody else but me? So I've got Brent Musburger, who was very, very good. I recorded it a few days ago. You'll like that. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to have another guest. I'm still, uh, you know, I haven't recorded it yet, so I don't want to jinx it. But uh, I'll have that coming out on Wednesday. And then uh, this week I'll be going to the San Francisco Green Bay game out west. And uh, looking forward to reporting on that from you. So, the next one of these Monday morning podcasts, you'll probably get it uh, when I will be in uh, in the bowels of uh, the state, the 49ers Stadium, Levi Stadium in uh, California. But I'm looking forward to going out there. I have not seen a game on the West Coast this year, so uh, it'll be fun. Everybody, I hope you have a good day, a good week, and. Uh, uh, Please uh, come back for my podcast, uh, the Peter King Podcast, on Wednesday. love a classic chocolate chip cookie famous amos has been making them since the 70s 1975 to be exact with semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie and fans couldn't get enough that's right you'll find our original recipe the one you know and love in every bag of famous amos original chocolate chip cookies find famous amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.